Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of James, the book of James. This should be the last evening that we're going to spend on Sunday night in the book of James, and we're going to be in chapter number four. You know, anthropologists now tell us that um, one-third of all human beings who have ever lived and have died have done so at the hands of other humans. In other words, one out of every three people who have ever drawn a breath on this planet uh, died either through war, violence, or crime, having their life snuffed out at the hands of another person. Let me ask you a question. Look at this next slide right here. You ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? You should. Some of you are living like the Hatfields and McCoys. Amen? You know, these two, fam- uh, these two families were an honest-to-goodness real family, And I pulled some information that I just want to share with you briefly as we start tonight. The McCoys lived on the Kentucky side of the border. The Hatfields actually lived on the West Virginia side of the border. The Hatfields fought for the Confederacy and the McCoys fought for the Union. Their feud started in 1878 and lasted for 13 years until 1891. Uh, Between those years, the feud claimed more than a dozen members of the two families and caused the governors of both Kentucky and West Virginia to call out the state militia to restore order. Now, maybe you're asking why this feud started to begin with. Well, it started over a pig. Over a pig. Floyd Hatfield found a pig on his property, and he said that was his pig. Randolph McCoy said it was not Hatfield's pig, but it was his. And he could prove, by the way, they had notched his ear. Hatfield believed the pig was his because it was on his land, And the McCoy guy said that it wasn't, and they knew that it was their pig. And they actually took the matter to court over this pig. And the McCoys lost. McCoys lost because of the testimony of Stanton Hatfield, who was actually, the Stanton Hatfield was related to the Hatfields and the McCoys. He was a kin of both families. The problem was that the judge that was presiding over the case was Anderson Hatfield. He wasn't kin to any McCoys. And the star witness wound up being killed by two of the McCoy brothers after the court case was settled and the fight was on. Now, why do I mention that, the Hatfields and McCoys? Because I believe today there are Hatfields and McCoys all over the place, right? There are Hatfields that are married to McCoys. There are Hatfield and McCoys brothers living under the same roof. There's Hatfield and McCoys uh, that are living next to each other as neighbors. And there are Hatfields that go to work every day with their McCoys, right? You don't have to look very hard or search very long to find conflict and arguments and fighting and lawsuits over pigs and domestic violence and all kinds of things, severed friendships and constant conflict and bitterness. And so the question is, why do we have to live like this? I wonder how many of you tonight are living under some kind of conflict. Only you know you, maybe your spouse and the Lord knows. I wonder who's not even speaking any. I wonder who it was at Thanksgiving this year that you didn't even speak to or that you don't speak to anymore. You know, that's a shame. I was talking with somebody today and they mentioned an elderly person uh, who had passed away and, uh, in their 70s, and, but they were refusing to speak to their sibling all the way to the end. And now it's too late. Isn't that sad? Who are contemplating tonight uh, getting a divorce because of conflict? Who here hates their job because at their job it's conflict, conflict, conflict? 
Now, conflict, according to James, is a way of revealing whether or not we have real, trusting, abiding faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Because real faith is going to handle conflict certain ways that someone without faith won't. And so tonight, what I'm going to give you is almost three steps that James gives us how to manage conflict, how to control conflict, and many, 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 many times how to resolve conflict. And you'll learn that with most people, you actually can get along if you decide. So what's step number one? you got to ask yourself, what is the cause of the conflict? What is the cause? I mean, what's really the cause? You know, there's, in church life, you know what I've discovered? And oftentimes, there, somebody will be, find a reason and leave a church or be upset. Not, I mean, not all the time, but sometimes here's the case. Sometimes here's the case. Whatever they say isn't the thing. What we say is the reason that we give, but the actual thing may be something else. Or if somebody gets upset with you, they say, I'm mad at you because of this. And the reality is there's actually something back here in the background that started all of that. And that led to finding a reason to be mad at you. Does that make sense? Look what James says in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? James doesn't mince words and he doesn't waste time. He gets right to the heart of the problem. He says right up front that a big part of your conflict with somebody else over something uh, is not really the conflict between you. It's the conflict that's going on in you. That there's a conflict going in you. There's a conflict going on inside of them. And it comes from our desires. It takes two to tango. And it takes two to have a conflict. But also, there's always that third and fourth person, the conflict that's going on on the inside. Right? And none of us like to say that it's our fault. Look at this next slide. Nobody wants to admit their side of the problem. Whenever, I, whenever somebody does me wrong, you ought to hear me tell it. Because I know just how to tell it. I'll tell it in such a way you'll think they're the devil and I'm the Apostle Paul. Amen? I'm Billy Graham. Somebody. You ought to hear me tell it. But I've got a feeling that I'm not the only one that knows how to tell a story like that. Often when we feel wronged and when we tell the story, all of our intentions are clear and pure. And the other person only has bad, awful intentions at heart. Nobody wants to admit their side of the problem. Now James says if you want to get to the root of the problem and the heart of the conflict, we have to start looking in the mirror. Write this down. He lets us in on a little secret. External conflict is always caused by internal conflict. Right? If me and you have a problem, it usually is, it starts from a problem on the inside, not a problem on the outside. External conflict is almost always caused by internal conflict. Conflict that is occurring on the outside is caused by turmoil going on on the inside. We're all born with this. You know what you want? You want what you want. You want to have things your way. Right? And that's just you're born with that. You want what you want. Right? You want to have your way. And so uh, to want people to come over to your side of thinking is actually kind of natural. To come over to your point of view. And when two people each want their way, one of them isn't going to get their way. When two people both want their way, one of them isn't going to be happy. I mean, you look at kids. Look at your children. If you've had children or grandchildren or great, 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 great grandchildren, I mean, think about it for just a moment. Look at them. What do they fight over? Look at them. They both fight because they wanted their way, right? It's my turn to sit up front. 
It's my turn to play video games, right? It's my turn to watch what I want to watch. It's my turn. What do we, I want my way. I want it now. The root cause of all conflict is selfishness. It always is, always has been. The reason why James says that our desires produce fights and quarrels is because the only way that you can satisfy every single self-centered desire that you have is by conquering the self-centered desire in other people. You have to win that conflict, and it starts in you. Now, I'm not saying that all conflict is bad. Some conflict needs to happen. Some conflict, real, I mean, it, it's necessary, and it needs to happen. Some conflict is good. Some people live foolish enough to think that all conflict is bad and nothing should ever be confronted or taken care of, right? Those people live in a fantasy world surrounded by people that will handle conflict for them. Sometimes conflict is necessary. Now, I'm talking about tonight, though, is the Hatfield and McCoy kind of conflict that is really inexcusable. The vast majority of things that we argue about, fight about, quarrel about aren't really worth fighting, quarreling, arguing, or even talking about. But at least we need to be honest with ourselves and acknowledge, I've got a part to play in this. The, the external conflict really comes from internal conflict. So what's my part? And then what can I do about it? Number two, write this down. You need to remove your part of the conflict. If you want resolution, remove your part of the conflict. See, when we don't get our way and conflict arises, remember, two people who naturally, by nature, want to have their way. And so one person is going to have their will conquered by another person. Look at verse 2. James says, you lust and don't, do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. When you don't get what you want, you don't get your way, right? Uh, you just, uh, that's when conflict comes up. Look at this next time. It's, it's basically Abraham Lincoln. The story arose, you know, this is before Secret Service, that Abraham was walking through the streets one day with his two sons while they were still alive, and they were arguing and fussing, and some guy on the sidewalk said, President Lincoln, what are your kids fussing about? Don't they know how to behave? And he said, they're fussing about the same thing the whole world's fussing about. And the man said, what's that? He said, I got three apples, and each one of them want two. And that's the truth, right? We always want our way. Uh, and when, until you understand that you're part of the problem, your own selfish desires are kind of clouding your vision, getting your way, you're never going to solve the conflict. You're never going to reconcile that relationship. But the problem gets bigger because there's internal conflict that leads to external conflict, but our selfish desires spill over in our relationship with God. Look again, James chapter 4, verse 2. He goes on to say, yet you do not have because you do not ask. What he's saying is you'd have some of that stuff that you want, but you don't ask for it. You'd have it, but you don't ask for it. Instead, you fight over it, and you're mad about it, and you're bitter about it. If you ask God to give you uh, what you want at the right time and try to, instead of trying to run over somebody else to get it your way, God would have given it to you, but you haven't. See, we'll spend days and weeks and months and even years being bitter about something that didn't go our way, and we didn't even pray about it for 30 seconds. We'll spend years upset about something that didn't go our way, and we, don't even, we never even spent 30 seconds asking God to give it to us or to help us. How many times have husbands been guilty of trying to manage their wives by bullying them or coercing them or, or, or all these manipulative means so they could be the leader of the house, but they've never asked God to help them be the leader of the house? 
to give them wisdom and direction, to be a, the kind of man that a woman would want to follow. Now, the, uh, James uh, shows us that the problem is actually worse. Look at verse 3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James says that we're so selfish that sometimes even our prayers are poisoned, right, with our own selfish desires. We come to God and we're basically saying, God, I want it my way and I don't want it your way. We treat God like a genie and a lamp. We can rub the lamp. He'll give us what we want. God's our heavenly bellhop. When we say jump, he's just going to jump and give us what we want. I want. James is saying this. Look at this next slide. We can get so selfish that we can even pray for the right things. Listen to me. You can be praying for the right thing and not get it because you're praying for the wrong reason. That's what he said. Something that God wants you to have. And because you're praying about it for the wrong reason, with the wrong motive, selfish desire, selfish intentions perhaps, James is saying it's not going to happen. You're praying for the wrong reason. I mean, think about that. Imagine a woman that's married to a drunk who gambles. And she wants, she's praying, asking God to save her husband. Right? God, I want, I want my husband to get saved so he won't be a drunk and gamble. But the real reason isn't because she's worried about his soul. It's just she could ever get him off the booze and the gambling, she'd have more money to spend. Right? Is that the, praying for the right thing for the wrong reason, for selfish desires? Maybe somebody's praying for another job uh, 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 so they can make more money, and it seems like a good thing, but they don't want to do it so that God will be glorified or to their family will be blessed. They simply want more money to spend it on more sinful activity, right? The right thing, you know, it's not wrong to desire a greater income, but for the wrong reasons. Again, we can get so selfish that we can even pray for the right things and not get them because we're praying for the wrong reasons. The point I want you to understand here is this, that if you're in the middle of conflict, somehow you have to shift your focus on what the other person is bringing to the table and start focusing on what you're bringing to the table. Evaluate the cause of conflict. I shared with you guys sometimes, y'all know I'm a verbal thinker, so I have to talk. I have to talk. In other words, if, if I'm upset about something, I sit down and talk about it. And i got to say it out loud. And so often when I say it out loud, I realize how stupid I am. I'm like, you're a little, little man, Marcus Kelly. Because you say it out loud and you hear the words. You know, that, that really frustrates me that ABC, XYZ, and then you go, that is so stupid. Why do I care? Move on. What you've got to do is recognize your part that you're bringing to any conflict and recognize whether or not you've got selfish desires and intentions in it. Now, it's easier said than done, but the only way that you can do it, well, number three, write this down. You have to surrender all of this to God's authority. you got to recognize that God's the authority, not you and not the other person. You have to elevate God's place and his authority. Now, we're going to get to the real root of the problem here. When you make up your mind that your philosophy in life is, I'm going to please me, I'm going to get my way, I'm always going to get what I want, then what you've done is you've moved God from center stage and you've put him up on a shelf somewhere. You automatically have reduced God's role in your life. James says this in verse 6, look at it. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. I would never want to think that the creator of the universe, our omniscient, all-powerful, mighty, mighty God, is resisting me. That is not a position I would want to be found in. God resists the proud. 
but gives grace to the humble. What God is saying here, if you're so proud when you're in conflict with somebody else that you're not even willing to admit the possibility that you could have a little bit to play in this situation, you don't have a problem with that person. You don't have a problem with yourself. You've got a problem with God. With God. So how do you deal with your pride? Look at verse 7. James says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As strange as it sounds, look at this next slide. The only way to win the war over pride is through surrender. That's the only thing that works. Surrender. There has to be unconditional surrender to the authority of God in your life. Listen, if you wanted to get your way in something and you're convinced it's the right way and, and you find yourself in the middle of conflict, and I'm not, this doesn't mean being a, a, mat, a welcome mat for people to walk all over, okay? That's not what I'm talking about tonight. But you find yourself in the middle of conflict and you recognize that you do have a part to play in this and you want to surrender this to God. The only way to win in this situation is by surrendering to God. And you might be concerned, well, then I won't get my way. You may not, but you'll get his way. And it's always better than what we think we wanted to begin with. Always. As a matter of fact, is there any part of you that's not completely... If there's an area of your life that is not surrendered to God, that's the area that's always going to be in conflict with everybody. If you have some area in your life that is not totally surrendered to God, what will happen is the devil will use that area and keep you in conflict with people all the time. Because it's not surrendered to God. Look at this next slide. You remember Achilles? You remember him from Greek mythology? The infant. His mother tried to make him immortal by bathing him in that magical river. But she held him by his what? Held him by his ankle. She dipped him in and got everything in. Reminds me of that lady we baptized here a couple weeks ago. Y'all remember that? Went to baptize her at the last minute. She, she grabbed the glass and I took her under and brought her up, and I saw her hand too late, so then I grabbed her hand and put it under too. Amen? It's called, you got to be submerged, man, 100%. Not 92. Well, Mama took Achilles and dipped him in that water, but held him by the heel, so everything went in the water except that heel. And so eventually, that was the heel where his mama held him was the spot that he was vulnerable, and that led to his death, the, the vulnerable spot. That had not been submerged in the magical river. Listen, any area of your life that has not been completely surrendered to God is a vulnerable spot. It's a bullseye and a target for the devil to exploit to get the victory in your life. And that area is where conflict will come from. It doesn't matter if it's your desire for more money and there's nothing wrong with more money. I hope God gives you just wheelbarrows full of money. More pleasure. I hope you have so much fun it's unreal. God gives you bigger and better things. I mean, the bigger my TV gets, the more I like football. Amen. Or maybe that promotion at work that you want. I hope that God gives it to you. Whatever it is, I hope that God answers. But I hope it's not simply from selfish desires, motivated by greed, and an area in your life that's not surrendered and that's causing conflict. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's a big difference. Now, we're going to see here the ultimate piece of advice that James, he's going to give us. Look at verse number eight. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of conflict, war, or fight. It doesn't get any better. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let me ask you a question. 
Are you nearer to God right now than you were before? Are you closer to God or are you further away? And if the answer is, you know, I'm further away, does the problem lie with you or does it lie with God? And you know the answer, don't you? It lies with you. The way to get what you really want out of life is to surrender what you want to God. Surrender what you want to God. And when you surrender what you want to God, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I might not get what I want. Maybe not. Maybe you will. But I'll tell you this, you'll always get what you need. You show me any conflict going on anywhere over just about any reason, whether it's in a family or in a marriage or even between nations. If the two parties empty themselves of themselves and fill up on Jesus, there will be no conflict. The only question is, are you willing to humble yourself and admit your part, your role to play, and allow yourself to be so full of Jesus that you're even willing to suffer for his name's sake? If the answer is yes, God gives grace to the humble. But if the answer is no, God resists the proud. Which side do you want to be on? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word this evening. God, thank you for this clear word from the book of James about conflict. God, forgive us when we strive and we fight and, and Lord, we use excuses. And God, so often we do it with people that we love. We have conflict with the very people that we care the most about. God, help us to empty ourselves of ourselves and to fill ourselves with you. And to rec- if we have conflict, God, to recognize whatever part we may have. God, we know everything's not our fault. But help us always to respond in Christ-like humility. And, and Lord, help us to be your people right here. And God, not to use an excuse or not to use, not to turn to rationalize sinful behavior and conflict. Help us to be yours in every situation. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here tonight, you know, you're saved, you're a believer. But right now in your heart, you've got conflict. Man, that usually comes to the front during the holidays. Now, for sometimes there's good reason to have conflict. I hope you understand that. There's good reason. But a pig isn't a good reason, is it? And it might be that the reason why you've got conflict with loved ones, it might be that that's not a good enough reason either. Maybe. Again, there's the right kind and there's also the wrong kind. Do you have any of that Hatfield and McCoy kind of conflict in your life? Where if you said out loud what was really bothering you, that you know it kind of sounds silly, and it's not worth it. It's not worth the loss of a relationship and fellowship. It's not worth the loss of a family member or a loved one, or even a relationship at work. Do you have any of those Hatfield and McCoy's kind of conflicts? Where you know that if you just empty yourself of yourself and surrender this conflict to Jesus, that you would sleep better tonight, you'd wake up better tomorrow, knowing that you're doing the right thing, the best that you know how. Do you know that? I want to encourage you during this invitation, if there's any conflict, any unnecessary conflict in your life, that you just give that to Jesus, man. Give that to Jesus. He knew conflict. He knew it. He was surrounded by it the whole time he was in ministry. He understands, and you can bring it to him, and you can trust him with it. 
And he'll give you exactly what you need. Surrender to him. Maybe you're here tonight, you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Man, not really, not truly. You've been lying to yourself, you've been lying to others, and you've been faking it for so long, man. Why don't you surrender? It's time. You don't have peace with yourself. You don't have peace with your loved ones. You don't have peace with anybody. It's because you need Jesus. You need to be forgiven so that you can forgive others. That's the only way any of this makes sense. Those who have been forgiven of much love much. Do you need to be forgiven tonight? Maybe you could pray a prayer like this. Simply repent, turn from your sins, and trust Christ. Maybe you could say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I turn from my sin. And I'm asking you to save me. Save me, Jesus. My, my, all of my life, Lord, I surrender to you. All of my conflict, I surrender to you. All of my selfish intentions, I surrender to you. Lord, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Why don't you pray that prayer? And if you did, I promise you, he just saved you. You've been forgiven of everything. I want to encourage you to make that decision public. Maybe tonight you need to come and follow through in biblical baptism. You need to be baptized. We talk about it all the time because it's the first thing that Christ expects us to do as his followers. Jesus said, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And we say, yes, sir. Who should be baptized? Anybody who's trusted Christ? Have you got your baptism on the wrong side of your salvation? Why don't you come tonight? We'll get that right. We'll straighten that out. We'll schedule that for you. It's so important. But it's so prevalent in society. In church life, so many people, they walked an aisle and they, maybe they took a class and they were baptized in some form or fashion. But they didn't really give their heart to Christ later on. I want to encourage you to get that in the right order. Maybe you need to come tonight and make it official and be a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church home. Make it official. But whatever it is tonight, the word for our invitation, like it often is, is the word surrender. Whatever God is calling you to do, say yes and surrender. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait. I have decided to follow Jesus.